YT-654. Paul Muni was one of the giant actors of his time, giant in ability, giant in sensitivity. I told him about a play I had in mind wherein I paralleled passages from the Bible with the growth of a man into a time of war. Mr. Muni listened, liked, and did. Mutual presents Arch Obler's Plays, tonight starring Mr. Paul Muni. The Mutual Broadcasting System brings you the final broadcast of a special 26-week series of plays by radio playwright Arch Obler. A series of dramas concerning the people of this expanding world in which we live. The play, This Living Book. The leading player, the distinguished actor, Mr. Paul Muni. testing of human values, the book is a part of the undercurrent of life, a stream of cultural treasure linking the past with the life stream of each man of decency. Turn your thoughts, you who listen, away from yourself for these moments, and listen to the book as it lives. God created the heaven and earth, and the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. Yes. Joe, it's a boy. I a boy, Joe. Didn't I tell you? Joe, ain't you glad? I, I don't know. What's the matter with you? If I say it to you, I won't say it to her, and it's better that way. I didn't want this kid, Fred. I didn't want it because every time I felt my empty sleeve and then read the headlines, I said to myself, no kid, no. Let the world go to the devil where it belongs. 1919, war only over one year. And already they've forgotten all the fine words that sent me over there. Already they're grabbing and conniving and cheating and... and... 
I'd better go see her. And him. Yeah. Joe. Joe, listen. What you just said. Well, think of this. When a baby's born, maybe... Maybe it's like a new day. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a just man, and Noah walked with God. And God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Look at the wind blow the sails. That's boat in the world, isn't it, Pop? All right, son. Come ahead. Your mother's waiting lunch. Yeah, okay, Pop. Pop, why haven't we got a big boat? Well, I guess it's because we haven't enough money. But everybody's got lots of money now. Really? Who told you that? Teacher. Yes, I suppose. Well, someday, 1929 may be considered the golden year. Who knows? But why can't we have a boat, Pa? Well, lend an ear. The clean one. <laughs> <laughs> now, suppose it was a bright, sunny day like this, and everybody was laughing and having lots of fun, but you felt there was a storm coming up that would blow away everything that wasn't strong and honest. And supposing you knew that the only way you could earn that boat was to be not quite honest, was to cheat a little here and take a little there and sneak a little and lie a little, and knowing that the boat wasn't an honest boat, you'd know that the storm would blow it away and you'd have nothing left but the thought that you hadn't been honest with yourself and with the other people who share this world with you. Would you want the boat then, Johnny? To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. They have no delight in it. Therefore, I'm full of the fury of the Lord. I'm weary with holding in. I will pour it out upon the children abroad and upon the assembly of young men together. For even the husband with the wife shall be taken. 
the aged with him that is full of days, and the houses shall be turned unto others with their fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand upon the inhabitants of the land, saith the Lord, for the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, every one is given to covetousness, every one dealeth falsely, saying, Peace! Peace! Then there is no peace. just spoke, state his name. John Eli Adams. John Eli Adams. Yes, we were quite sure it wasn't Quincy. <laughs> I've just been informed that you're a member of the sophomore class. Well, enlighten us, Mr. Adams. Please enlighten us. This is called the University Conference for Peace in Our Time. You're talking no war. Well, what you're really saying is I'm 18 or 19 or 20 and I'm just beginning to live in this world. So no matter what the cost, don't damage this world in any way that will cheat me of what I want. But I tell you, gentlemen, the cost of peace in your time is too much for even you or me to pay. Sure, I'm 18, and sure, I want a chance of loving and having and being. But not at the cost of men and women hunted like animals. How dare we, the young, expect peace at our time when there is no peace in the world? <laughs> Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Thine eyes are as dove behind thy veil. Thy hair is as a flock of goats that lie along the side of Mount Gilead. Thy teeth are like a flock of ewes that are newly shorn, which are come up from the washing, whereof every one hath twins and none is bereaved among them. Thy lips are like the thread of scarlet, and thy mouth is comely. Thy temples are like a piece of pomegranate behind thy veil. Thy neck is like the tower of David builded for an armory, whereon there hang a thousand bucklers, all the shields of the mighty men. Thy two breasts are like two thorns that are twins of a roll, which feed among the lilies. Until the day be cool and the shadows flee away, I will get me to the mountain of Myr and to the hill of frankincense. Thou art all fair, my love, and there is no spot in thee. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride.
know we're coming? Yes. Why are you afraid? I just am. Of me? No. Tell me. All right. Remember when you told them off? Told who off? It was two years ago. At school. That piece at any part me. Well, what's that got to do with I you? fell in love with you then. What? I loved you then because you were like one of the prophets of old. You said what you believed. And you said it not caring what happened to you. Hey, now, wait a minute. No. I want you to hear this. In a little while, we'll be together. All right. But how about after that? What kind of talk is that? Always. You want to. And I want to. But will they let us? What's this merry-go-round? Tonight's headline. You showed them to me yourself. Today, Poland. What about us? Tell me, John. I love you very much. I want to be with you. Tell me. Well, I haven't any answers. Nobody has. There might have been an answer a few years ago if somebody had done something about fascism and company then. They didn't. All we can do now is wait. But I want to know that you'll be with me. War or peace. Either way, there's no answer to that. You know, Vicky. What? All these miles, you know what I've been thinking? What? About love. Hmm? And loving. That used to mean a girl in a certain line which depended on who she was and how I felt and where we were. And then I met you. And it began to mean the way your eyes go wide. And that sort of crinkle up when you laugh. And the way you walk. As if it was wonderful to be a woman. And when I hold you, your lips go soft under mine. And your arms warm. But your eyes are like a little girl's. Asking me not to hurt you. Vicky, you better change your mind. You're marrying the kind of man who makes love before breakfast. I'll always remember you said these things to me. The day we were married. Righteous art thou, O Lord, when I plead with thee. Yet let me talk with thee of thy judgment. Wherefore doth the way of the wicked prosper? Wherefore are all they happy that deal very treacherously? Thou hast planted them. Yea, they have taken root. They grow, yea, they bring forth fruit. Thou art near in their mouth and far from their reins. Thou, O Lord, knowest me. Thou hast seen me and tried mine heart for thee. Hold them out like sheep for the slaughter, and prepare them for the day of slaughter. How long shall the land mourn, and the earth of every field wither, for the wickedness of them that dwell therein? Maybe sleeping.
need to. Now I want to. Okay. Let's stop calling him Snooks. Let's call him David. David Adams. About you, John. Do you really want me to? Yes. All right. I wake up in the morning, I work, I eat, I sleep. Once in a while I read. We go to the movies, love. Everything's the same. And yet, it's as if it wasn't happening. I mean, really, anymore. With every day, it's less and less real. The only things real are the newspaper headlines, news broadcasts. But not our lives, not here. Not anywhere in America. I get this crazy thought. We're dead. And we're waiting for the fascists to come over here and bury us. Yes, I was holding him too oh, I'm sorry, darling. Please, just sleep. You wanted me to talk. I wanted you to. John, of course I've known what's been wrong. Have you? <laughs> How quickly babies fall asleep. For the last few years, you've been thinking and suffering because you've understood how everything the Germans have done has been part of a terrible plan. All right. So I'm smart. So what good has it done? No, you're asking what good have you done. That's what's wrong with you, John. You've reached the end of just thinking and suffering inside of yourself for people. I think to myself, what if we never wake up? What if the fools went out here and I never get a chance to fight? Vicky, that's killing me. What if I never get the chance to fight? Take it now. What? Do what you want to. Now. How can I? Baby? Me? Yes. I married you for what you were and what you're going to be. Maybe this is what you're going to be. You couldn't get along. I will. Vicky. Your lips. Vicky. <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right. What's the matter, Mr. Adams? Mr. Adams, is your radio on? No, what's the matter? I heard it. I think I just heard it. The Japs. They're bombing us someplace. Does that mean we're in the war? How is it, John? All right, Chaplain. The men? Few seasick. They'll be all right, sir. You're waiting a long time for this? Yes, sir. First invasion barge to get to the continent. That'll be all right, Captain. Right, sir. You're married, aren't you, John? Yes, sir. Of course. You showed me a picture of your wife and child. <laughs> Strange. Ever since we started over the channel, all I can remember is something from the book. Something I used to say to myself back in the days when I doubted whether America would ever wake up to the fight. I have trodden the wine press alone, and of the people there was none with me. For I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. For the day of vengeance is in mine heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. And I looked, and there was none to help me. 
and I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore, mine own arm brought salvation to me, and my fury, it upheld me. You said it, too. Yes. And now the greatest crusade of men in history. I'd call it a prayer. Prayer, I don't... This whole invasion, chaplain, it is a prayer. A prayer and... And a promise. Uh, a prayer to God to help us destroy the evil. And and the promise to God that once it is destroyed, we'll never let it happen again. I saw a paper from home. There are a lot of people saying that the peace is already lost. That what we win will be destroyed by selfish groups of selfish men. I can't believe that. I won't believe it. I have faith, chaplain, in people. In the living God that's in them. One more minute, men. I have thought of this minute. I have too. Chaplain, sir, will you pray for us? Yes, yes, of course, soldier. No. John, you say it. Eyes? Yes. All right. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Dear Mrs. John Adams, it's been a long time since I last wrote you. A long distance between Normandy and today. Tonight I'm writing you and the wives of some of the other men who are in my battalion because tonight some of the boys for whom I was chaplain are very close in my memory. I'm in Nuremberg, Germany. The trials of the war criminals are about to begin and there's so many things that I suddenly wanted to say to you who were closest to the boys who gave so much more than we who are left to live. Hundreds of reporters and newsreel photographers who are here will soon be sending back every detail of what some people term the final vengeance. Then the sentences will be passed and some of these evil ones will die. And again, the words and the pictures will reach all corners of our nation and many, many millions whose part in this war was small and many more who have been in it and have sickened of it will say, well, now it's really ended. Men close their minds as the book is closed and the last chapter is read. I cannot believe that if John had lived, he would have considered it ended. For John wasn't fighting Nazis and Japs alone. All his life he fought evil, and so he would have come back to fight the evil yet among us, the evil in our own house. And oh, my dear, how much evil there is. The great evil that still hates because of color or creed. The great evil that has come through a war and still looks upon our nation as a personal exploitation. There are some that say that now that America is on the threshold of great industrial prosperity, it would be best to let events take their natural course, plan just a little, muddle through. I don't believe John would have wanted that. Before the war, many of our people were hungry, while others destroyed their surpluses. Millions were unemployed, and worst of all, there was little zest for life and liberty, no 
no driving principle or policy to make the citizens from all corners of our country proud to be citizens and brothers under a sun that might illuminate a hopeful future. And then came the most inhuman war in recorded history. And suddenly there was no unemployment. Our people as a whole were well-fed and prosperous. The nation was healthier. Science leaped across the boundaries of the unknown. People willingly adopted healthful, constructive collaboration and unified determination and a national spirit of worthy sacrifice. Tonight, as I think of John, I say that if only at war our nation can become great, then let us declare another war and choose our enemies this time in our own nation. Fight with individual and national vigor against the illiteracy and abysmal ignorance and insecurity which, which darkens whole sections of our country. Fight with industrial and governmental cooperation, even as we did to solve the problem of the atomic bomb, to rid our nation quickly and completely of cancer and tuberculosis and the terrible diseases of the mind which cut short our lives and the lives of those we love. Yes, a great never-ending excitement-filled crusade against the tyranny of the unknown, giving to each of our lives in peacetime a sense of cooperative excitement and living that we had in time of war. A crusade. Yes, John would have wanted that. <laughs> I, I keep saying that John would have wanted that. That, of course, is a presumption. And, and yet, I like to think of John living in death, even as do the prophets of old, who who spoke what was in their hearts and minds in the temples and the marketplaces and on the mount. I, I, I like to think that. For John once said to me, I have faith, chaplain, in people, in the living God that's in them. And they who have faith in the lowest live everlastingly with the highest. dominion over us, but by thee only will we make mention of thy name. Thou hast increased the nation, O Lord, thou hast increased the nation. Thou art glorified. Thou hast removed it far unto all the ends of the earth. Thy dead men shall live. Together with my dead body shall they arise. Awake and sing, ye that dwell in the dust. Ladies and gentlemen, you have just heard Mr. Paul Muni in Arch Obler's play, This Living Book. With Mr. Muni were Elliot Lewis and Barbara Eiler and Lou Merrill. Included in the cast were Tommy Cook, Irvin Lee, 
Jack Edwards, Jr., Mary Lansing, Theodore Von Elts, Bill Johnstone, and Bill Shaw. The original musical score was composed by Gordon Jenkins and conducted by Jack Meekin. Thanks to Dr. Harlow Shapley, director of the Harvard Observatory, for material used from his article, A Design for Fighting, which appeared in the Atlantic Monthly. And now here is Arch Obler with a few words to conclude this special series. Twenty-six weeks have gone quickly. They have been good weeks for me because they have reaffirmed my faith in a system of radio broadcasting that speaks in terms of the world we live in. And so concludes the final broadcast of the special 26-week series of plays written, produced, and directed for the Mutual Broadcasting System by Arch Obler. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. <laughs>